Welcome to Rewitched, a charmed 1998 rewatch podcast. Join us on our journey as we recap, examine, and critique the series episode by episode from the beginning. We'll be keeping our podcast spoiler free, so we welcome fans, new and old, to join us in watching and reflecting on one of our favorite shows. Currently, we're on season one. I'm your host, Jess Sabanko. And I'm your host, Mia Sabanko. Now let's get into this week's episode. This week, we're discussing Season 1, Episode 20, The Power of Two. It originally aired on May 12, 1999, and had 5.56 million viewers. All right, so very good episode today. I'm excited about this one. I'm pretty sure when we did our, like, intro episode, I did name this as one of my favorites. One of my favorite villains is definitely from this episode. Like, I'll say right now, of season one, definitely. But, like, even throughout the series, like, Jackson Ward is definitely one of my top ten favorite villains on the show. Really? I mean, I like him, but I or I like him as the villain, but I never really thought of him as anything that special. It's I don't know what it is about that. him. Like, I, and I wasn't sure if I was still going to feel this way because I've just always felt this way. I love that actor. I'll start with that. Like, I've seen him as I the villain the and other things and I love him. But, like, I don't know. I also feel like I, like, low-key have a crush on him, which is weird because he's, like, not the type of person I would ever have a crush on. But I, like, I don't know. Okay. Maybe it's the whole, like, women are obsessed with serial killers thing. I don't know what <laughs> it is, but I love Jackson Ward. <laughs> Okay, for some reason, like, I'm glad you, I I wasn't the only one that felt that way, because I thought it was super weird, but I do think, like, there was some attraction for me to yes! him, too, but I didn't, like, but it's so weird, because it's not like he's any super cute guy, or anything. Yeah, no, like, no offense to this actor, but he's not, like, the type of guy who I'd see on the street, and I'd be like, wow, that's a 10, but, like. <laughs> I know, exactly, but I do love this actor, so that's true. Maybe it has more to do with that than the character he plays in general, but I do yeah. think he does just such a good job, you know? It's something like, about, just... like, the way he carries himself. Like, I'm just so attracted yeah. to it. And he just totally, like, I don't know how to explain it. He's, like, those one of those actors that, like, should be, is, like, meant to be a villain in every role, you know? Like, he just looks like that's the character he'd play in every show. Yeah, like, and he know, definitely was typecast that way in so many things I've seen him in. Oh, totally. You know, um, oh, crap, I don't know his name in real life, but have you ever seen Prison Break? I've seen episodes. So you have to know Teabag, Theodore Bagwell? Yes. Okay, well, that actor, he also plays, like, a bad guy in lots of shows, and it's just, he's another one where it's just so perfectly fit for him, just the way he looks, the way he acts, like, and he's not a bad guy in real life, obviously, but, like, he plays the ca- the role of a bad guy so well, and I just can't imagine him any other way, and I feel like that's what this actor does for me, too. Yes, definitely, and I'm sure if, like, we heard people talk about him, it would be one of those things, I mean, I could be wrong, I know nothing about his personal life, but, like, you know, when there's, like, someone who, like, always plays a bad guy, and everyone's like, oh, he's actually, like, the sweetest person in real life, like, <laughs> it's probably something like that. Yeah, it definitely is. <laughs> Okay, let's get into it. We haven't even started. I know, we like... haven't even started. We're already so excited. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to start? Sure. All right. So we open on the manor 
And Phoebe is sitting on a table. She's like meditating. And in the background, Prue and Piper are running around and they're both looking for things. Phoebe has a bunch of little items around her. She picks up a lipstick, then a photo of the sisters. Then she picks up a plane ticket, which Piper happens to be looking for as she's running around frantically. And Phoebe gets a vision of Piper missing her flight. And she's like, I can't believe it. It worked. And then Prue sees Phoebe holding the ticket and grabs it and says to Piper that she found it. Then Phoebe tells them that she's been practicing how to call a premonition and that she finally did it. She's like, that's the good news. The bad news is I saw you missing your flight. Piper says if she doesn't get to Honolulu for the convention, she'll be fired. And Prue says they can't let that happen because her job is hanging by a thread because of all the time she's been taking off for demon hunting. And, you know, Piper's kind of like, well, I'm so behind. I didn't go shopping or pay the bills or call the cable guy or cancel my hair appointment. And Phoebe's like, oh, like, don't worry about it, Piper. I'll do it. And then Prue's kind of like, yeah, I mean, you've got time, right? And then Prue's like, come on, Piper, we should go. So Piper's like, I just realized the two of you haven't ever been alone together. And Phoebe's kind of like, come on, we're not little kids. We don't need you as a buffer. And Piper's like, well, what about if demon stuff comes up and we need the power of three? And Prue says, well, the power of two will just have to do. (laughs) And then as their favorite lines. Yeah. (laughs) And then as they're leaving, they tell Phoebe a bunch of more things to do while they're gone. And Phoebe's like, you know, annoyed with this. And she's like, I'm not even married. And already I'm a housewife. That's when the phone starts ringing. And it's Phoebe's friend, Marianne, who she was supposed to go to Alcatraz with. And Phoebe at first is like, no, I can't go. I have all these things to do. And then instead she like crumples up her list and she's like, you know what? Let's go. Phoebe with the attitude. I love it. (laughs) Crumpling up that list though was a bold move. (laughs) I know. She could have at least just put it down and saved it for later. (laughs) I know. Like they still need to get all those things done. Like wasn't it on the list that there's like bills that need to be made? Like, that's not really something you could just get rid of, but okay. (laughs) That's how it works, though. You just crumple up your bill, your uh, paper, and then there's no more bills. Yeah, you're done. It's over. It's off to Alcatraz. (laughs) So, not too much. Just a little intro. We know that Piper's leaving, and this is going to be just a Prue and Phoebe episode, which is the first time we've ever had an episode with just two of the sisters, right? Yeah, it is. We don't get many of those. I mean, not really a spoiler, but we don't get too many where there's not three sisters in the episode. Yeah, and it's pretty cool that they put that in here. I think I just want to add, like, I really get where Phoebe's coming from here because I teach and stuff, so, like, I don't work during the summers. And I feel like when I'm, it's, like, those weeks where I'm not working, like, even though I'm, like, prepping stuff for the next school year, like, I am doing things. It's not like I'm sitting around watching TV all day. I mean, that's what I do for the first two weeks of my break, but not the <laughs> entire break. And I notice, like, everyone's expecting me to do everything around the house then. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, it's like, come on. I get it. But, like, at the same time. It's not fair. It's not. Because it's one thing to ask, it's another thing to, like, expect it, which I think is something that Phoebe's going to, like, point out later in the episode. Yeah, I know. This is obviously something that's going to be brought back up later on. Mm-hmm. And uh, the little um, 
What's it called? Foreshadowing with Piper being like, well, you guys have never been alone together. What if something goes wrong? <laughs> <laughs> so obviously we know things are gonna things are gonna go to shit or something's gonna happen. Yeah, something's definitely gonna happen. Yeah. All right, so then we move on to Alcatraz where we see this woman in a black robe who's obviously the demon or some sort of being asks this male prisoner if he plans on spending the rest of eternity there and he says he'll find a way off this rock on his own and she says who are you kidding Jackson you've been stuck here ever since they executed you 36 long years trapped between life and death he kicks a can and walks through the cell doors in the prison, and he said that he's learned to break the physical plane and prepare for his revenge. And she says that she takes souls to hell, and he says that she's not going to get his, and she tells him that she doesn't want his, she wants a witch's. And then she says, if you let me get you off the island to get your revenge, witches will try to stop you. And the only way they can do that is to become vulnerable to me. And then they hear people approaching and she says, speaking of witches, some sort of sense, I guess. <laughs> and then a tour group walks in to the, or walks by the prison cell and the guide starts talking about the ghost of Alcatraz. And Phoebe isn't really paying attention. She's not looking up, but then she hears in the back the ghost voices called the guide an idiot. And so the guy goes into the cell and he falls down to the ground and Phoebe turns and sees the ghost and runs up and asks what they did. And she's like, who are you? And Jackson says, you can see me. And the woman's like, forget her. Here's your ride off the island. Hop in. And he hops into the guide's body. And then the woman disappears in flames and everyone's kind of staring at Phoebe because no one else can see them. So she, they're like looking at her like she's crazy. And Phoebe tells her friend Marianne to call 911. Yep. So already I'm really vibing with Jackson. I like how he's like not down to like take any shit from this like demon woman who also I also have a crush on. I'll be honest, both the villains of this episode very very like i don't know their demeanors are great i'm just yeah i like them yeah definitely a definitely an attraction to them both she's very pretty too that actress mm -hmm. and i'm obsessed uh, with her hair i know i was thinking that too about her hair i love it i wish i wish i had hair like that it just fits it does um, and yeah, right off the bat, Jackson's personality, his attitude, his demeanor towards, you know, his situation. And I love that they just give her so much exposition <laughs> in this. Like, the way they're just like, you've been stuck here since they executed you for 30 long years. Like, this and that. You know what I mean? Just like, okay, we get it. Like, this guy is obviously a ghost in this prison who died here. We could tell by the prison outfit, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess it was in case we didn't know what Alcatraz was, like, they wanted us to be clear that this was a ghost, but, like, we would have gotten that from the dialogue, even if you didn't include that phrase. Exactly, and maybe even the prison cells would have given it away, too. <laughs> and the fact that he's literally still in his prisoner uniform. I know, like, 
Like we didn't we didn't need all that, but this isn't the first time this show has done that and thought that we were stupid or something and needed a little more help figuring these things out. Yeah. I also like how we get their whole plan from the beginning. She's like, No, I want a witch's soul, not yours. And it's like Yeah. Okay. Cool. I know. They just tell us everything from the start. But uh, And like it's clear it. that she knows like it's gonna be a witch, right? But like, did she know it was gonna be a charm. the charmed ones? Yeah, I don't know. I wonder. It seems like the demons aren't yet aware of exactly who the charmed ones are yet, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, they... Because it's every demon that comes along, I feel like they know that the charmed ones exist, but then they see all three sisters and whatever, and then they realize that it is that they are the charmed ones. So I guess they don't really have any sense of that. Yeah, I guess it's not, like, common information yet. Yeah. But I'm sure it'll get there the more the more they fight. Yeah. In the future. I guess we'll see. Yep. So then after that, we have the theme song. And then we are back at Alcatraz for a quick scene where we see, like, this body bag being zipped up with the tour guide inside. And Phoebe is being interviewed by, like, the police. And then she goes over, like, by her friend, and the whole group starts leaving. And it's, like, a silent scene. We just hear, like, music playing over it. Then from there, we go to Buckland's, where Prue is sitting in Claire's office. And Claire tells her that without her, the auction house would have been bankrupt. But then she kind of, like, changes her tone and is like, I've tolerated your unexplained absences and the endless family emergencies, but no more. Buyers interested in purchasing Buckland's will be visiting in the next two days, and it's important that you make a big impression if you expect to keep your job. That's when Prue's assistant comes in and says that her sister is on the phone and says it's an emergency, and Prue's kind of, like, like goes to take it. So she's standing outside, like, her office by her assistant's desk on the phone, and Phoebe's like, have you ever heard of the ghost of Alcatraz? <laughs> and Prue's like, are you kidding? This is why you pulled me out of a meeting and then Phoebe lies and says that her friend saw the ghosts well actually two ghosts and that she's been doing research and she found out that some evil spirits need a dead body to transport them across water that's when Claire like comes up and Prue pretends that Phoebe called her because the furnace exploded but Phoebe needs to handle it on her own and then Prue hangs up on Phoebe and goes back with Claire yeah so I don't even know Claire (laughs) Claire's such a bitch but I love it I love how straight up she is you know well because I mean put yourself in like Claire's shoes here like Prue is always like just dipping out of work showing up late not coming at all and like she never has a valid excuse right she's just like oh I had a family emergency every single time like imagine if your employee was doing that like three times a week yeah and the only reason she hasn't fired her yet probably is because Prue does the best job there of anyone, you know? Yeah, like, that's even what she said, right? She's like, you're kind of the whole reason this place didn't go bankrupt when we took over. And, like, I get where she's coming from because, like, you know, Claire doesn't own Buckland. She's just someone from the bank. And now, like, the bank has made their money back and is looking to sell the business. And they can't really promote a business with the main employee being as flighty as Prue is. Like, it makes sense why she's acting the way she's acting. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I kind of forgot that Claire isn't really, like, like, this isn't her main job, you know? Mm-hmm. Running Buckland. 
and think about that. She's just there to kind of make the bank's money. Yeah. And help them sell it. So, yeah, no, I totally understand Claire's position and Prue's fear that she's going to lose her job. And I love the little, like, side note that Prue put in when she was hanging up the phone. Like, you're going to have to handle it on your phone, Phoebe. Don't forget to pick up tampons at the market. <laughs> I know that was funny to me. Um, Phoebe, on the other hand, I don't... I guess I do understand. That was... I would have thought that in such a serious, like, situation, like, when it comes to the demon stuff, like, you wouldn't want to lie about that, you know? Like, I feel like at that point, I would have just been, like, okay, like, honestly, I took the day and I went to Alcatraz, like, I'm sorry, but now we have a problem, you know? Yeah, well, I think that Phoebe does that for two reasons. The first is that she's kind of like, well, I should be able to do what I want, and I don't feel like getting yelled at, and the second is I think she doesn't want to prove Piper right that the two of them, like, can't make it through a couple days without her without fighting so she's kind of doing everything in her power to avoid that fight that's true that's a good point but i mean i'm surprised that prue didn't question it that marianne saw the or she kind of did she kind of did suspicious yeah. but i mean humans seeing the ghosts like that that wouldn't <laughs> most likely wouldn't happen you know um, at least from what we've seen in the show yeah with other ghosts so after this, we go to the police station, and we see Andy sitting at his desk, and then Daryl walks over with a box of stuff and asks Andy if and asks if Andy took any old case files home with him because they're missing a couple. And Daryl says that Andy's been walking around here like a zombie lately ever since he ran into Prue again. He asks him what's up and Andy's like I wish I could tell you I really do I just have to work things out on my own first and then this woman walks in and starts talking to Daryl and Andy and is like okay you guys are the experts on the freaky cases figure this one out the victim was stabbed 13 times in the chest CSI found a knife at the scene and they got a solid thumbprint from fluoroscoping and says that it's an ultraviolet fingerprint and it matches Jackson Ward, who's the serial killer that was executed at Alcatraz 36 years ago. And Daryl's like, well, this has to be a mistake. And then Andy, of course, since he knows <laughs> he knows about the supernatural now, he asks if he can borrow the file. And he kind of just runs out the door without saying anything. Yep. So it's kind of like this isn't going to be the last time that we see kind of some conflict between Daryl and Andy because of Prue's secret. And I really like that throughout it all, Daryl seems to not press him too hard, you know? Like, he still seems to just trust Andy and is like, you know what, like, you're my partner and I do trust you, but, like, I still need to know what's going on kind of thing, you know? Like, he never doesn't have his back. Yeah, and I have thoughts on that, but I want to kind of bring them up later and in the next episode as well, I'll have even more to say about it. But at this point, I still am really liking their bond. I think we've seen it grow so much over the season because at the beginning, yeah. they like were strangers to each other and it was clear. And at this point, it's very clear that there's this trust between them. There's this friendship between them. Like it goes beyond them just being co-workers at this point. Yeah. 
And I, I just like the way that they portray that bond between them. And yeah, we'll see more throughout the episode in the next one. And Daryl, like, I like that we kind of get the sense that we can trust both Daryl and Andy. And it does make me wonder if, like, Andy is going to eventually tell Daryl the truth, you know? Yeah. In order to avoid the conflict or if somehow he will find out. Because as we know, Daryl's a main character in the show, too, at this point. Yeah, I mean, he's in the theme song, like, we know that he is a main character. Yeah, exactly. So, and, I mean, none of the main characters in this show really go too long without knowing something with the sisters, so I guess we'll see. But I really like Daryl and Andy, and I'm, even with Daryl's, like, some of the unfiltered things that he says, I, I really do like him. Like, he is one of my favorite characters. No, definitely, like, as we're approaching the end of season one, he has grown on me. And, you know, I have some thoughts on his behavior in this episode and the next episode, but I I am starting to like him a lot more. Not that I, like, hated him at any point, but I wasn't, like, Daryl's number one fan. Loving him, yeah, exactly. Okay, well, we'll get more into that, you know, as the episode goes on. But anyways, Mm -hmm. not too much more to say about this. Yeah, I mean, other than that, I feel like it's just kind of setting up the investigation and kind of leading Andy to the sisters. Yeah, exactly. So then we're back at the manor and now it's nighttime and Prue walks in and she notices that the place is really empty and she goes into the kitchen and sees the fridge is empty. She calls Phoebe's name and she sees Phoebe sitting at her computer in the dining room. She said she didn't go to the market or the dry cleaner because she got sidetracked with the ghost research. And she says, this just sort of seemed more important. We're not going to get into a fight already, are we? I mean, we wouldn't want to prove Piper, right? And just then the bell rings and Prue goes over to get it and it's Andy. And Prue says, you know, I was wondering if I'd see you again. I thought maybe you were mad at me. He says, no, I just needed some space. It's one thing to suspect what your secret was. It's another thing to actually see it with my own eyes. She asks him if maybe he's okay with it. He says that he's actually there because of a case. So she invites him in, and he tells her that the son of a former DA was murdered, and that the evidence points to the last man executed on Alcatraz before it closed down. And then Phoebe calls from the next room, and she's like, Jackson Ward. And they both ask how she knew that. She goes, I told you I was trying to figure out who the ghost of Alcatraz was. Remember, Jackson Ward's name was at the top of my list. And Phoebe says that the ultraviolet fingerprint could be from the ghost ectoplasm and she asks if Andy has a picture of him and Phoebe's like yup that's him and Prue kind of looks at her and then she's like exactly how Marianne described him to me amazing (laughs) (laughs) and Prue is like super sus of this and then Phoebe asks about the victim and Andy says that his dad was the prosecutor who convicted Ward and Phoebe's like, coincidence? I think not. And Prue says, speaking of coincidence, don't you think it's an awfully big one that your friend saw this ghost? And Phoebe says if they learned anything, it's that there are no coincidences. And then Prue asks if Andy is okay. And he says that he was just getting used to the idea of demons and witches. He doesn't know if he's ready for ghosts too. And Phoebe says, you ain't seen nothing yet. And he asks <laughs> how he stops the ghost of Jackson Ward from killing again. And they all just kind of look at each other. And that's the end of that scene. Yeah, so here I feel like, again, more plot. And obviously I like that they're having these two main storylines. 
in here, or kind of three, I guess, because Andy Andy really has his own storyline going in this as well. But mm-hmm. they also have, you know, the issues building up between Prue and Phoebe, and then, you know, on top of that, obviously the the demon or ghost for this week, you know. Yeah. So, anything else to add for that scene? I like the interactions going on here between the three. I think this little triangle of like Prue, Andy, and Phoebe, whenever the three of them are in a scene together, I think the chemistry is always amazing between all three. And I just love the way like there's kind of this like playfulness in Phoebe that comes out around Andy because she's so comfortable with him because she's known him her whole life. And you know, kind of the way that Prue isn't pushing, but Prue like does wanna know how he feels about the secret. Because I think, you know, as we saw in the last couple of episodes, that connection between them from the beginning of the season is still there. It hasn't gone anywhere. And it's clear that she still has feelings for him on some level. And I think that now that he knows the secret, part of her hopes that they can get back together now that there's nothing like standing between them if he is truly okay with it. Yeah, I think that she's been waiting and like kind of pondering this answer for so long I mean it's been brought up in so many episodes her like her issue with with Andy and her contemplating telling him and this and that like I it's been such a struggle for Prue and now that he finally knows she's like desperate to find out how he feels about it and because that was the whole reason or a big part of why they didn't work out you know and so obviously this is very important to Prue but she's you know, she's not pushing him too hard because I guess that wouldn't really be fair. But I'm, I hope we do find out more about that in this episode. And based on the way things are going, it seems like that is going to be another important thing in this episode. Yeah, definitely. So then we move on to this courthouse and it's nighttime. And there's this old man who we see by his name, tag thing on his desk that it's Judge Renault and he's sitting in his office and then Jackson Ward just comes walking through the door being the ghost that he is <laughs> and he flicks the lights off and he starts talking but obviously the judge can't hear him and just continues working in the dark <laughs> and Jackson's like oh you could have shown some mercy given me life in prison but you wanted me put to death and he starts floating his name tag in the air and drops it right in front of him. And the judge gets up, obviously scared at this point, and is like, what's going on? Who, who's there? And then Jackson grabs him and starts choking him by his tie. And he's like, you have any idea how long it takes to die in a gas chamber? How much you suffer? What a cruel and horrible death it is. And then he grabs this letter opener that's on his desk and stabs the judge with it, and he dies. And then we see the red-haired demon lady appear, and she says, I helped you get your revenge. Now it's your turn to help me get a witch. And then he starts laughing, and he's like, are you kidding, lady? I'm just getting started. And keeps stabbing the judge over and over again. And then she just kind of rolls her eyes and watches him. (laughs) continue to do this so I see what you mean because I I know in this scene like their their interaction and both of their demeanors and 
the way they act like it's so it's so good you know like the little laugh where he's like I'm just getting started and her just like I don't know it it is really good I like these villains a lot yeah and like okay so I have a few thoughts on this scene first I want to start with you know this idea that Jackson brings up which it's interesting um to see in the show the like anti like capital punishment message that's being so clearly presented here i know that california got rid of the death penalty i want to say in the 80s so that's interesting i also the way he brings up you know the cruelty of the way he was killed because you know when you think about it i feel like when we think of the death penalty like i mean not that there's really a humane way i'm personally like not for the death penalty but i know some people are it seems like I'm so used to thinking of the idea of like the injection, but like there were really like horrible ways they used to kill people, like the gas chamber or like electric chairs or like. They um, don't still do the electric chairs. I think Texas does, but I don't think anywhere else still does. Because when I think of when I think of death penalty, usually electric chair is what comes to mind. But I think that's just because you know, in most shows or things like that, that's what you see. You know. Like, that's usually the one that they okay. do. I I never knew that they did the gas chamber in, like, America, at least, you know? Like, I never knew that that was a way that people were killing people. Yeah, they also used to do, like, the death by firing squad, where they would have, like, six people shoot, and only one of them has a bullet, so you wouldn't know which one of the, like, the people doing it wouldn't know which one of them killed the person. Oh, wow. I, I never heard oh, yeah. of that either. That's more old-timey. I don't know when they stopped doing that. Yeah, because they would do it so that, like, none of the people who were the executioners would, like, feel guilt for doing it. Right. So they would have six people shoot, and you wouldn't know which person was the one whose gun actually had fired the bullet that kills the person. I guess that makes sense, because I, I have heard, like, I've I've seen videos and stuff like this, people talking about their experiences with the death penalty, like different correctional officers and, you know, people involved, because it's, it's not like you just go right in and kill someone. It takes a lot to, that goes into it. And a lot of people have to be a part of that. And just people's experiences and how they feel afterwards and the way they're like, a lot of them are like, I don't think I could ever do that again. You know, mm -hmm. it's not an easy thing to do. And I mean, personally, I'm not, I'm not really for the death penalty either. I guess I feel like life in prison can be punishment enough sometimes. Although I, I also understand from the perspective of these families who are hurting that maybe they would want that person to feel the same pain. So I don't know. It's a very, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. So I, I don't even really have a clear idea of my own opinion on it. Yeah. And I uh, don't want to, you know, spend 50 minutes talking about why I do or do not support the death yeah, penalty. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's people, everyone's entitled to their own opinions on things like that. But this, it is pretty clear the kind of the message they're trying to send here, I feel like. Yeah. Another thing, just to kind of get back into the scene itself, the way that, you know, clearly the judge is already dead, but something that's really interesting, and I think this is part of the reason, like, people are so interested in, like, learning about serial killers, is, like, the way that they have their specific, like, routine 
like the judge is already dead there was no reason for him to stab him 12 more times but because like his mo is like stabbing the victim 13 more times he has to like stab 13 times yeah it's weird it's like a weird fixation on things like that and that's how i mean that is pretty much what serial killers do they have their own mo and that's how they have to do it for every person that they kill to get that kind of satisfaction or relief so it is really interesting what goes into the mind of a serial killer and his thought process behind that like is it some sort of OCD thing or you know what I mean Mm -hmm. yeah no I think like examining the minds of people like that is so interesting to me it's hard because like part of me wants to watch like those documentaries and stuff they make but like I'm so afraid of them like when I watch something like that I don't sleep for like weeks because I'm just like so freaked out but like it's interesting it's it's something and I get why people want to study things like that like it's just fascinating to think that there are people whose minds just like work that way yeah I mean they don't freak me out like that I definitely love watching them maybe it's because I I grew up watching things like that my mom is such a such a geek for those types of things so no I remember being like a little kid watching like crime stuff with your mom (laughs) oh that's what I'm saying my mom is like that's all I've known my whole life I'm way too used to it for it to like you know affect me sleeping you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) if you know my mom then you know that that is all she watches documentaries things like that you'll never not see her watching that but um I mean I've grown very interested in it too And it is cool to watch those things and learn about it. I really like that they put that in the show, too, because, you know, every other monster, for the most part, it's very, like, demon of the week or ghost or this and that. But this is, like, about a a real-life person, you know, who has done these horrible things that happens in the real world. Yeah, it's like a human villain almost. Exactly. I mean, even though he is a ghost, this is we still see the human traits all throughout, which is very (laughs) interesting because we don't get to see that a lot in a show like this. And I also do wonder, I mean, I doubt it, but is Jackson Ward, like, is that a real person? Is it based on a real person? Do you have any idea? I don't think so. I think he's fictional. I mean, I could take a quick look but I'm like 99% sure he's not real he might have they like they might have chosen a real killer to kind of like base it off of base it off of let's see Jackson yeah I was Ward. just wondering to see if maybe they did that I mean I would assume they made up the character himself but like I wonder if they do because I mean Alcatraz is real so I I don't know yeah. if they based it off something like that yeah I mean all that comes up is like charmed stuff Um, And it doesn't say anything about him being based on anyone, but he might be, you know, or inspired by a couple of different killers or something. Yeah. Who knows? But it's pretty cool that they did that. And that they included a real prison and like a real California setting, you know, like this is somewhere people actually do visit there and stuff like that. Yeah, like like when Ash and Ant went to San Francisco, they toured Alcatraz. Exactly. Like this is a real thing, which just makes it feel more... I don't know, more exciting to me this episode. Mm -hmm. So then we're still at the courthouse, but it's the next morning and we see the crime scene unit is there taking pictures. Daryl and Andy are like kneeling next to the body and Daryl says there are 13 stab wounds in a circular pattern, just like the other victim. And Andy says, you know, that matches Jackson Ward's MO. 
Daryl's like, well, it must be a copycat killer. And Andy's kind of like, well, how would he know the MO was never released to the public? And Andy asks if he can see the murder weapon and asks the like crime scene guy to fluoroscope it. And he's like confused. But then he gets the ultraviolet light thing and he goes over and they see that there are fingerprints. And Andy's like, 10 bucks says it matches wards. And then Daryl's like, Andy, don't go jumping off the deep end on me. Jackson Ward is dead. Been that way for a long time now. And he says, well, somebody's going around killing people or the descendants of people who put him away. And Andy starts leaving and tells Daryl to have someone put together a list of potential victims, anyone with um, any connection to his conviction, and then he leaves. Yeah, so it's kind of weird here because Daryl obviously has, is like not convinced at all. And he's all, he's been like this from season, or I mean, from the beginning of season one, you know, where Andy's always kind of been more believing of the supernatural and magic even before he actually knew. Because in the first, the very first episode, we saw that in him. Mm-hmm. And Daryl's always been so against it. And I feel like they've had so many instances where at least I would have seen and been like, okay, something about this isn't right, isn't human. And the fact that this and the fingerprints matching a dead guy, like, and Daryl still is just not convinced, you know, like there's no breaking that. And I wonder why he's so against that idea, you know? Yeah, I think there's something about, like, the plot device of, like, keeping Daryl out of the know by not letting Daryl believe. Because I think if we saw, like, Daryl starting to, like, believe, it would be a lot harder for us to accept Andy not telling him. But the fact that, like, Daryl's such a non-believer, I feel like it it makes that tension a little more believable. That's true. That makes sense. And... I mean, who knows, though? I wonder what could be going through Daryl's head. I mean, what idea would, what other explanation could you even come up with in a situation like that? Like, he must be just confused. Yeah, like, I'd love to see the last few episodes from, like, Daryl's point of view and, like, what he thinks is going on behind the scenes of all this. (laughs) I know, right? Like, I always want to know what's going through his head because he never believes these things. And unfortunately Daryl's always kind of kept out of the loop yeah and he's definitely noticed the connection to Prue so I wonder what he thinks is going on with Prue me too I really do wonder that but I think or I I'm sure eventually we'll we'll find out a little more about what Daryl kind of had his suspicions about what was going on you know so I guess we'll see if if that time comes but right now I I just Every time I see these scenes, I'm like, poor Daryl, he just must be so lost. (laughs) Okay, and after this, we move on to Buckland's, where we see Claire is in her office with three men who are all kind of standing there looking at their watches. There's this weird tension. They're obviously waiting for someone. And Claire's like, I'm sure Prue will be here shortly. She has a lot of family emergencies. And then... Prue walks in apologizing already and she introduces herself or no Claire introduces her to Mr. Yakihama and he's uh, head of acquisitions and says that Prue is one of their top specialists and then right away her assistant comes in and then Andy walks in and says that he needs to see Prue for police business and then they all kind of go into the hall. Prue is stressed out because, you know, Claire's obviously pissed off about this. 
and she's like, are you trying to get me fired? And he says, I think Jackson Ward has killed again, Prue. And Prue's like, great, just wait here for a second. And she goes back in the office to kind of let them know that she has to leave. Mm-hmm. Here, I feel like it's more of just Prue's plot with the her job hanging by a thread kind of thing. Yeah, it's just really developing that B-plot of Prue, like, job being in jeopardy and kind of one more reason for her to get fired, basically. Exactly. So then after that, we're at the manor, and Phoebe is in the attic. She's looking through the Book of Shadows. Prue calls for her from downstairs. Then she comes up with Andy, and Phoebe's, like, trying to hide the book, but Prue says that she told him about it. And she tells Phoebe that Jackson Ward killed again and they they need to figure out a way to stop him. Phoebe says that, you know, she's been looking through the book. She found tons of references to ghosts. And Prue says, well, there has to be something in here about vanquishing an evil spirit. And Phoebe's like, well, there is one spell, but I don't think we're going to want to use it. She's like, well, why not? If it needs the power of three, we can always call Piper. But that isn't the issue. Um, An evil spirit needs to be vanquished on the astral plane. So they would need to be spirits themselves in order to say the spell. And one of them would have to be dead then, obviously. And Prue tells her to keep looking. Then Andy's looking at the book and he says, I have always believed there was another world beyond or behind this one. I even sort of believe in demons. But I have never in my wildest dreams, I could never have imagined that this existed. And Prue's kind of like, yeah, neither did we, but we've come to believe there's a reason for why that world was opened up to us, which means there's probably a very good reason why it was opened up to you too. And Phoebe's kind of like, welcome to our little shop of horrors. And then the book starts turning on its own the way it does, and it opens up to the truth spell. And Phoebe's kind of like, oh, it's weird that it would open up to that page with Andy standing right here. And Prue's like, it has to be a mistake, Phoebe. (laughs) She's like, or maybe there's a reason, Prue. (laughs) Andy's standing there. It's just lost. (laughs) So then we cut to them on the stairs, and it's Prue and Andy, and Andy is super pissed off. He's like, you did what last year? And she's like, you know, I wanted to see how you would react to me being a witch. And he's like, well, you could have just asked me. And she was like, you know, saying I was afraid you'd freak out on me, which is exactly what you did, by the way. You just don't remember. And he asks if that reaction was the reason why they stopped seeing each other. They go back and forth, and then he asks the question again, and she tells him that, yes, like, that was the reason why they stopped seeing each other. And he asks how much time she gave him to react, and she says, a minute or two. And she's <laughs> like, and he's like, and that's what you base the entire decision about us on? Prue, I've had a week to react this time. I don't, I still don't know how I feel. You should have given me more time. I think I deserved that. I think we deserved that. And then Phoebe comes running down and says they need to figure out how to stop Jackson from killing his next victim, but looks at them and asks if she's interrupting something. And Andy says, no, they're done, and asks how they stop him. And Phoebe says, I have a power too, you know. So here we go. It's getting deeper with the Andy and Prue thing. I guess I can't speak on it too much now, but later in the episode when it comes up again it does make me very sad (laughs) yeah I mean even here like I really feel for Andy and like like just the thought like I couldn't imagine being in his position here and finding out that like 
this big thing that ended your relationship, like you had one minute to deal with it. Like I get how he could be so frustrated by that. And you know me, I'm not usually team Andy. I'm usually team Prue, but yeah, I feel for him here. Yeah. And that was, that was definitely something that had crossed my mind. And I think we even talked about it back when she did cast the truth spell on him that episode. And we saw the, the time that she had given him to react. And I think we did question, you know, if if she had given him more time, if he had more time to think about his answer, what he would say, you know, if that would change things. And I'm thinking that the way this episode is going, we're going to find out, you know, the answer to that question we were wondering episodes yeah. ago. Yeah. And you know, that like that the line that kills me is we deserved that, right? I like, know. My heart shattered. Like, I'm such a romantic, and, like, that line just, like, oh, it hits me right in the chest. I know. Poor Andy. I I do feel bad for him here. I mean, I understand Prue's side. Like, really, what could she do? It's it's not like it wasn't really hard for her, and it's not like she have to, like, like, this was a season-long thing of her, and I guess in the show that it was, like, a whole year of her basically not knowing what to do and we never ever stopped talking about it it was always on her mind so we know that it was really difficult for Prue so I do understand her position too but I mean I do feel for Andy where this is just that's got to be a really painful thing to hear oh yeah absolutely and I feel like we've talked you know so many times every time Prue was struggling with it I kind of like was talking about understanding her position so now that like we're seeing more of Andy's perspective I just like I felt the need to you know say that I connect with him as well I totally do too yeah that's poor Andy it's weird though I wonder why it uh or I guess we kind of can assume but like why the book did turn to that page at this time and how it does that you know like what is it turning the books to the or turning the pages of the book when it does that yeah, because um, we saw one time that it was Leo that did it, right? Um, in yeah. that one episode, but we don't know how it happens every other time. I wonder who else has that power. Yeah, I wonder who else is like so invested in their lives and kind of does that for them and helps them out, like giving them that guided hand. And uh, well, I don't know. I just wonder if we. Yeah, I think we also in the one episode out. got the idea that it was their mom, right? So I wonder if it's just like ancestors and like other people connected to the book in some way maybe yeah that's that's kind of what I figured like people all around them that are I mean their mom's dead their grandma's dead all of them like it could have been any of them involving themselves and kind of which is funny because like we see even here like Phoebe once again inserting herself into Prue's relationship so it's funny like to imagine that everyone in their family like even their dead ancestors are doing that I know it's literally like (laughs) it's everyone it's just a family trait I guess that all of them do but I kind of love it that they're all so involved in each other's life and the way that it's kind of like the book looks out for them and their family looks out for them even though they're not around you know Mm -hmm. good energy Um, yeah but yeah this this scene with Prue and Andy definitely hurt this one hit home Okay, so then we go back to the police station, and Andy goes into the evidence storage room to check out the murder weapon from the last victim, and 
the guy working there gives it to him and Andy leaves and the guy picks up the phone and he says, yeah, you told me to call if Trudeau showed, he just left. So we don't know who he was talking to, but you know. And then we cut to Andy's desk and he walks up to Daryl and asks if he's got the list of potential victims yet. And Daryl says that they're still working on it. It's a lot of names, especially when you add in the descendants. And Andy starts looking at the list and Daryl's like, where have you been? And he's like, you don't want to know. And Daryl's kind of trying to get him to say something. And he says, Andy's like avoiding the question. And he's like, I have to go. I'll check back in with you later. And Daryl stops him and he's like, we're partners, Andy. That means we work together. And Andy's like, I know this is an exception. And he like touches Daryl's shoulder for romance. Love it. Um, And then he leaves. And then two men walk in and start talking to Daryl and they say, introduce themselves as inspectors Rodriguez and Anderson from Internal Affairs. And they're like, we need to talk to you about your partner. And Daryl just kind of looks at them like, oh, crap. (laughs) So here again with the bromance between Daryl and Andy. I mean, Daryl's obviously so frustrated, but just like Andy always was with Prue, Daryl's very patient with him and very... Or at least very trusting, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, Andy doesn't have to say much for Daryl to be like, listen, just like, you gotta know that you can trust me. That's all. Yeah. I think Daryl, like, knows how to push just the right amount. Like, he doesn't ever push too far, which I think is an interesting thing about his character and something I really kind of admire in Daryl's character as well. Yeah, me too. 100%. And I like the way that the show is portraying him because, you know, because of stereotypes, I feel like it would be easy to make, like, Daryl, like, the angry black cop, right? But instead, we see him as, like, this very calm, very rational, very, like... um... Yeah, I feel like in a lot of shows, they try to almost make make the black characters seem like the sassy, like, you know what I mean? Comedic characters or the angry characters and I like that they don't portray Daryl like this like he's just this normal guy that they didn't make him come across that way yeah like as much as he is kind of a sidekick character at least at this point in the story he's three-dimensional like we see him as someone who has kind of thoughts and feelings we've seen him interact with different people in different ways I think it was last episode when I was commenting Um, about how much I enjoyed kind of his gentler way of dealing with victims like he's very well portrayed and like does not feel like a stereotype to me which I really appreciate yeah me too it's definitely a respectable thing about this show I would have to say the same and about the whole internal affairs thing oh boy we got another problem coming up Yes, and I have so much to say about internal affairs and how Andy and Daryl deal with them, but I'm going to leave that till a little later in the episode to talk about. Gotcha. So then we go to Prue's car, and Andy gets into the front seat, Phoebe is in the back seat, and he hands her the murder weapon and asks how this is going to work, and Phoebe says that she's been practicing calling her power. She says, if the psychic energy is strong enough on this, I should be able to see a future event. So she holds the weapon and closes her eyes, and she has a vision of him killing an elderly woman. Prue asks if she's okay, and she's like, I didn't just see it, Prue. I felt it, her pain, her terror. 
And Andy hands her the files and asks if any of them look familiar. And she starts going through and then hands him back the file of Iris Biederman, the four person on the jury that convicted him and who starts the car. I feel like that was just plot. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only thing I'll comment on is that here we're seeing Phoebe's power growing. Now she's not just seeing things, but she's feeling them as well, which is interesting. I know. We've been getting a lot of power growth from the girls lately. I love it. (laughs) Okay, so then we go to Iris's house, and we see her on the floor screaming with a floating knife that's coming at her, and she faints, just like in the premonition and Jackson Ward is standing there about to stab her, but then the front door opens, and it's Andy with his gun out, and uh, he sees the knife floating and starts pointing the gum, but obviously he can't see Jackson, and then Phoebe and Prue walk in, and Phoebe kicks the knife out of Jackson's hand, and he says, you again, and Prue's like, you again, what, you two have met, and then Prue uses her power to get the knife as he goes to grab it again and Andy's like looking around asking where he is and tells Prue to point him out and Jackson says you can't keep saving her forever or the others or yourselves and then he leaves as he does this villain laugh and um, they all just stand there Andy's like still confused doesn't know what's going on (laughs) I like the energy in this scene you know the way it flowed was very good Mm-hmm. And everybody's acting in it. It was just portrayed perfectly. Yeah, I really enjoyed this scene. You know, the chemistry between these four actors was great. Other than that, not so much. To say yeah. Scene. Again, I mean, I feel for plot. Andy again, because, you know, he's the only one in not in on it, can't see the ghost, that type of thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Poor Andy. But, I mean, what are you going to do? So then we're at the manor, and the girls are walking in. Prue's like, I cannot believe you lied to me, and I cannot believe I had to hear about it from a ghost. And Phoebe's like, I already apologized. And, you know, Prue's kind of like, well, I don't get why you wouldn't tell me the truth, especially about something as stupid as going to Alcatraz. And Phoebe says she wanted to save herself the drama and says Prue is really mad at her because, you know, Prue thinks she was slacking off and that she's always doing that. She says, you're pissed because I didn't go grocery shopping or pick up your dry cleaning or whatever else you put on that stupid list. And, you know, that's when Prue says, well, I'm sorry that I asked you to do things around the house because I have to work. And, you know, Phoebe brings up that she feels like Prue and Piper automatically assume she'll take care of the house because she doesn't have a real job. And she feels like she gets no credit for anything that she does. And she says that Prue is mad at her because she doesn't work. And, you know, then Prue kind of says, okay, maybe you're right. And Phoebe says, that's why I lied. Then the phone starts ringing and Phoebe answers it. It's Piper asking how things are going and saying she wanted to check in. Phoebe says everything is fine and then hangs up. And Prue's like, why didn't you tell her about Jackson Ward? And Phoebe says, why worry her? The power of three can't vanquish him. It's up to us. And Prue just kind of nods. She says their issues won't be solved overnight. But in the meantime, they should focus on stopping Jackson. And Phoebe agrees with her. So... I really love this scene. I feel like a lot they were able to say. I don't I don't think that we can, you know, quite just explain the intensity of the scene, but it was a really intense moment between the two and it was kind of nice, you know, it felt like they resolved things, not resolved things, but the way that they were able to come to this compromise at the end and continue on despite their issues was 
it just felt very mature for them. Yeah. And like, I like this kind of the fact that they were able to talk about their issues in a mature way, like you said, like, I think it shows a lot of growth between the two characters. Because when we saw them in, you know, the pilot, they'd had that disagreement, and then they hadn't spoken for what was probably months. So to see that they're now like able to actually, even if they're still fighting, like to have a conversation about their issues and like bring up what it is that's bothering them, that's so much healthier and I think shows real growth in their relationship overall. Exactly. That's what I that's what I saw here too, which I, I really did love that we got to see that from them, you know, that growth between Prue and Phoebe. I think we've talked about it multiple times, how there's, you know, even though they have built this connection as the season has gone on they still aren't, you know, they still don't have the relationship that either of them have with Piper. There's still this disconnect between them in some way. But, you know, here you can see how much that has improved over time. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me, I mean, you know, there's this, like, saying that I've heard, like, you can see a lot about people's relationships by the way they fight with each other. Because, like, obviously, when you have a close relationship with someone, you're going to have disagreements like things aren't good you aren't going to see eye to eye on everything all the time and it's really about the way like you're able to discuss and solve those issues that like show whether or not the relationship can last and the relationship can work and that applies to like everything friendships family romantic relationships um so like seeing the way that they're able to kind of start working out their issues here and that they're going to have another conversation about it later i think shows the strength of their relationship for me I totally agree. Yeah, it it definitely shows their strength in the relationship. And you're right, you know, it does, the way people argue or fight does show a lot about their relationships. And here we see that theirs is pretty solid at this point, you know, Mm -hmm. like they do have that bond. Yeah, because I think earlier in the season, they would have just yelled at each other and not solved anything. But here they're able to say, you know what, we're not going to fix this tonight. Let's talk about it again later. But now we have an idea of where we're each coming from. Exactly. And like the way they, I think it's very healthy to pretty much handle situations like this where you take the time to hear each other's point of views and then be able to sit on that for a little bit and think about it more logically when you're not just in the heat of the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, people's real emotions come out better, you know, how they, how they actually want to say things, it's harder to get things out in the heat of the moment as opposed to after you've had some time to think about things and you can explain yourself better. Yeah, and exactly. The other, and, like, have had time to think about the other person's side. Mm-hmm. So after this, we are back at the police station and Andy walks over to where Iris is sitting and tells her that they're going to put her in a hotel with police protection. And she gets up, and then she asks Andy if she's crazy, and he's, she's like, I mean, you saw it too, didn't you? And he tells her that he did, and he says, but let's just keep it our little secret for now, okay? And she nods and starts walking away. And then Daryl enters as this female cop takes Iris, and he drops a file on Andy's desk and then asks who that was. And Andy's like, someone who got attacked. He's like, well, by who? Why? And he picks up Iris's file and starts reading from it. And he's like, look, Morris. And Daryl's like, don't look, Morris, me, man. You go flying out of here with that file and you just happen to come back with somebody in that file who just happened to have been attacked. 
want to tell me what's going on? And Andy says that he can't and that he's sorry. And Daryl's just kind of like, fine, whatever, it's your funeral. And he's like, what is that supposed to mean? And Daryl then tells him that Internal Affairs is looking into him and interviewed Daryl for over two hours. And then he just tells him to watch his back. And Andy looks upset and Daryl just kind of leaves. So, I mean, I don't know if this is the place to bring it up or if later is, but I'll bring it up now. Um, I mean, everyone who's listening saw to the end of the episode. We saw to the end of the episode. This scene, when he kind of says that, like, watch your back, bro thing. So it kind of, because I feel like when we talk about, like, police interactions and stuff, there's this idea of, like, and obviously we know that Andy is not a bad guy, but Daryl can't be 100% sure of that right now. So, like, I hate the idea of him, like, kind of, like, oh, like, protect, like, your brother in blue type vibes when, like, Andy may very well be involved in something very bad here. So the fact that he's, like, trying to, like, cover up and protect him, like, bothers me. Like, I I know that we know Andy's a good guy, right? And that we're rooting for nothing bad to happen to Andy and we're supposed to hate, like, internal affairs. But the truth of it is, like, their job is to investigate corrupt cops and if andy is a corrupt cop daryl shouldn't be covering for him that's true i i definitely see where you're coming from there i think it does come from this place of maybe trust and i guess you can you can never know and obviously daryl is suspicious of what's going on with andy but i think he genuinely believes that andy is a good cop and it's not really so much that he's covering for Andy but it's almost like he's just saying like there's I can't I can't help you here you know like you gotta help yourself like you really gotta figure your shit out you know like I don't know what's going on but like watch out you know what I mean yeah like be careful with what you're doing even based on procedure like I don't even think Daryl's supposed to tell him that much yeah he's he's definitely not supposed to but I mean I, I don't think he's supposed to either but one way or another Andy's gonna find out and it's not like and again it's like hard because we know that Andy isn't doing anything wrong but, since but like doesn't know anything. Uh, yeah like imagine he were and this is how Daryl was acting you know what I mean yeah that's true I guess I guess you do make a good point there it didn't really cross my mind like that but I also kind of see it as and I guess it's different for different situations but that idea of protecting someone that you care about, even when they're doing the wrong thing, it's hard to bring yourself to turn your back on someone that you love and care about. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In any situation, like, and I, I get like that if something were going on with you, I would, and someone tried to say something, I'd be like, go fuck yourself. But then, yeah, no, of course, talk to you about that personally. You know what I mean? But, like, we're talking about people who have the type of job where you can very easily abuse power and overstep your authority, and the whole point of internal affairs is to make sure that they're not doing that and that they're not going beyond the law because they have the power to. So seeing kind of, like, because we know that it happens, that, like, people's partners and, like, other people cover for them when they're actually committing crimes, when they're committing domestic violence, when they're involved in like drugs, things like that. Um, We see cops covering for cops in those types of situations. 
And like, even here, like, we know that Daryl and Andy, neither of them are bad guys, neither of them are corrupt, both of them are like, for the most part, good cops. But it's hard because in real life, that's not the majority that we see. And so it's hard to kind of like, get that out of my mind and like justify helping him because it's not like he's his friend protecting him from another person it's like he is his co-worker protecting him from someone at their job looking into him doing wrong at work yeah you're right that's true it is different for people in in that position so I guess looking at it from a realistic perspective that what Daryl's doing isn't right you know Mm -hmm. Because, like, yeah, we could even, even compare it, like, mind. if they worked in, like, an office, right, and Andy was suspected of, like, I don't know, like, stealing from the company or something, and they were investigating him, and, like, Daryl warned him, you know what I mean? Like, that would be, we wouldn't be rooting for Daryl to do that. That's true. Yeah, it never even occurred to me like that, I guess, because I obviously know Andy and Daryl are both good people, but Daryl doesn't have any idea what's going on with Andy, and he is doing some things that would seem a little suspicious so the fact that he's warning him is definitely not it's not right yeah so then we're at the manor and we're in the kitchen prue and phoebe are sitting at the table with the book of shadows and phoebe says that one of them needs to literally die and asks you know who volunteers prue says maybe but they need to find ward first and phoebe says she saw something about luring evil spirits so they find this potion and it requires the blood of one of his victims and they need to pour it over his grave. They realize they can get the blood from the letter opener and Phoebe read online that his ashes are at his family mausoleum in Palo Alto, but that once they do it, he's gonna be coming after them. So they need to be ready. So then they go to the cemetery and they're in the mausoleum talking about how much they hate cemeteries <laughs> and they hear a noise and Prue says it was probably a zombie or a vampire or something and Phoebe's like great where's Buffy when you need her <laughs> <laughs> and then they find Jackson's little plot and Prue asks Phoebe if she has the picture and it's a Polaroid of the two of them with their thumbs up and Phoebe wrote underneath hey Jackson let's party and she's like well I couldn't think of anything else to write Prue's like, whatever, and she throws the potion on the plot, and it starts to sizzle, and they leave. Yeah, so love the Buffy reference, you know, a very popular show that was also airing on the same network at the time, so yeah, makes sense that they would put that in there. And that picture, I mean, that's just iconic. Like, I love that. I know. I, I love that throughout it all, you can always see their sense of humor shine through, especially Phoebe's. I feel like she does that a lot. I think that it must just, like, help them in these moments. And obviously, it's for us, too, for the viewers. But, like, I do like the way they include that in each episode. Yeah, me too. Kind of, like, comedic relief. So then from there, we are at a construction site, and we see this old man is, like, putting something in a truck. And Ward approaches him from behind. And just as he's about to approach the man, he like starts groaning in pain and grabbing at his chest and he opens up the buttons on his shirt and his chest is like all like melting and like disgusting. And that's when the demon woman appears and she tells him that it's witchcraft. She's like, sucks, doesn't it? You should have helped me get to them before when I asked. And he's like, how do I get to them now? And she says to visit his grave. 
So he starts leaving and she like disappears in like that smoky fire effect. So I didn't hate the melting um, effect on him. No, it was pretty good. They actually did pretty good this time. Usually they make it very like (laughs) fake looking and horrible, but this one was pretty good, I'd say. I was like, damn, are they actually starting to have a budget for, like, the I know. effects? It's getting much better. By the end of season one, they're they're upping their game. <laughs> okay, so then we go back to the police station again, and Andy pulls his little profile out that we've seen before out of his desk drawer, and he puts the black magic and witchcraft papers in there, and he closes it, and then he puts it in his bag. And he starts heading out of the station and leaving Prue a voicemail saying, I need to give you something. I need to get it out of here. I'll explain when I get there. And as he's walking down the stairs, the IA agents approach him and and they're like, we need to talk to you. And he starts walking with them. Mm-hmm. So then we're still at the police station and now Andy's sitting at a desk with internal affairs. And one of the inspectors is reading out information from cases where the prime suspect is missing all the cases in other episodes we've seen, like with supernatural ties. And they're all unsolved cases that belong to Andy and Daryl. And Andy's like, we've solved plenty of other cases. And they ask him what he's hiding and why he hasn't solved those ones. And one of them pulls out an envelope, which has pictures of Andy checking out the letter opener from evidence. And Andy says, you guys spy on your wives too. (laughs) And they ask him if he's following a ghost and say that the word's out that he specializes in the uh, freaky cases. And Andy just smiles and nods. And Rodriguez is like, you're a good cop. I've seen your jacket. Up until last year, you were headed for captain. Now you've got all these weird unsolved cases. What happened to you, man? And he asks if he's coming, covering for somebody and asks if maybe it's Morris. And Andy, like, gets really serious there. And he's like, don't hang this on Morris. It's not his fault. And then he's like, look, I told you my story. You don't believe me. You take my hardware right now and you charge me. Otherwise, drop dead. And he grabs his briefcase and he leaves. Yo, Andy is so, like, <laughs> sassy. I know. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Like you can't get the can't get the fear out of Andy. Yeah, no, I appreciate him in this scene because I like him. But like I try to imagine like being in the role of like these other detectives and they're like investigating someone who they think is involved in something shady and he's just acting like this, like like such an asshole to them. And it's like, damn. I if I was them, I would think Andy was a bad guy. Yeah, me too. It definitely would not make him look any less suspicious. I'd be like, okay, you just proved me right, jackass. Literally. <laughs> but of course, us knowing Andy, we love it. Yeah. But um, obviously we see that this isn't something they're going to let go of. And we're sure we'll be seeing more of IA. Yeah, I don't think they're done quite yet. So then we are at the manor. And the girls are in the kitchen. Prue's working on a potion. And, you know, Phoebe's like, maybe it didn't work and he's not coming. Prue says if he does, they're ready. And she's making the killer cocktail. It'll stop the heart immediately. Prue says she found it in the book and whoever takes it can be revived with CPR, but it needs to be done within four minutes to avoid brain damage. Phoebe's kind of like, Prue, that's a pretty big catch. And she says, well, it's only, it's the only way to say the spell. 
It's the only chance of sending Ward where he belongs. And Prue says that she'll be the one to take it. And Phoebe says, no, like, we'll flip a coin for it. So Prue, it lands on the way that Prue called. And she says, I win. And Phoebe says, you mean you lose. And, you know, Prue's like, oh, well, only if you don't revive me. And she tells Phoebe that she has total confidence in her. And Phoebe's kind of like, I'm really scared, Prue. I think we've gone too far this time. And she says, we're going to do what we have to. And she says, I wish Piper were here, the swing vote, the voice of reason. And Prue says, Phoebe, I never realized how much I probably do take you for granted and not just what you do around the house either. And Phoebe's like, sure, you're just saying that because you're about to die. (laughs) (laughs) Then, you know, she kind of tells her she was right about the fight and thank God she was focused on figuring out who the ghost was. Phoebe says she overreacted and that she's upset with herself for not working and that she wants a real job, and Prue's kind of like, well, you'll find one when you're ready, and they hug. That's when the phone starts to ring, and it goes to voicemail. It's Claire, and she says, Prue, you're late, you're fired, and just then, Jackson appears through the wall behind them. He knocks something over, and Phoebe tells Prue to hurry. She'll, like, fight with Jackson, so they start fighting, and he knocks her out just as Prue passes out from the potion. He's like, you're making this too easy, lady. So he grabs like this pie slicer type weapon and Prue's spirit starts coming out of her body and she starts saying the spell. And as she does, he like drops it and starts shaking and like he's starting to like fade out. That's when Andy walks in the door and yells, Prue, you home? And he sees Phoebe on the floor. So he pulls out his gun and goes in. Prue's still saying the spell and Andy checks both their pulses. He starts doing CPR on Prue, but she's in the middle of the spell and she yells, Andy, don't, not yet. And she starts going back into her body and Jackson starts like coming back to normal. And he picks up the pie slicer. He says, it's even better. Now I get to kill a cop too. And Prue's spirit yells, Andy behind you. And just then he like turns and sees it, like the slicer floating. So he knocks it away and Prue's spirit comes back out. And she is saying the spell again. And Jackson screams and disappears. That's when, like, the demon lady appears. And she's, like, holding his fiery soul. And Prue's like, who are you? And she says, I was hoping to take you or your sister. But it looks like your soul is safe for now. So then she disappears in flames. And Prue goes back into her body. And she wakes up. And Andy's holding her. And he's, she's like, am I alive? He's like, yeah, you are. Thank God. And that's when, like, Phoebe wakes up and asks what happened. She's like, is the ghost toast? And that's the end of that scene. (laughs) I kind of wonder what the demon lady's role in this episode was. Like, she kind of didn't really do anything. I also don't remember if we ever see her or anyone like her again. But I wonder if it's kind of setting up something to do with souls. Uh, Like, I feel like as a first-time viewer, I would assume we're going to see her again. Yeah, as as a first-time viewer, I would assume that, but, I mean, I don't, I wonder, like, I still don't know what her role was in all of this, and I guess you're, I mean, I guess, yeah, it does bring up this idea of people's souls, which definitely won't be the last time we hear about things like that in yeah. this show, so, yeah, I guess that could be it, but it just felt like she was a little pointless this episode, you know? Yeah, she didn't serve any major purpose in this storyline, which is why I wonder if, like, she's there to set up some other idea that's gonna come back in, like, future plot lines somehow. Yeah. Also, I mean, you know, just to get into it, as far as wrapping up the Jackson Ward storyline, I thought this was a really good scene. 
I like the way they use the spell and they kind of flip for it. And then, you know, we have like all those comedic moments with Phoebe in this throughout the scene. Their makeup felt really good to me. You know, it's kind of that, you know, I'm about to die, so I have to solve my issues type of moment, which I thought was like a cute way to wrap that up. Yeah. But I did like the way that they they both apologized to each other and kind of like discussed what they were upset about, but still were like, like Phoebe was like, honestly, I'm mad at myself, you know, like I want to do this. And Prue was just like happy to hear her say that. Like, I think Prue just genuinely wanted Phoebe to admit that she's more grown now and can handle something like that like Phoebe's never really had a big job or anything like that but I think she sees just the potential in Phoebe and I think the real reason she was upset was like almost feeling like it's being wasted you know yeah because she got so happy when she started talking about how she does want to get an actual job and Prue's like good like you'll you'll get there you know Mm -hmm. yeah had that start And of course, you know, the Andy and Prue of it all, you know, they bring it up again later, but I do wonder again how Andy was able to hear Prue when she was the ghost. I was thinking the same thing, yeah. I think it's their soul tie to each other because they are soulmates. I'm just going to say it. 100%. 100% they are. Again, the whole chemistry between Prue, Phoebe, and Andy was like totally golden. I loved it. Yeah, me too. R.I.P. to Jackson. I'll miss you. I wish you could have been a multi-episode villain as well. I know. We already met our favorite one. <laughs> True. Um, so then we go to Buckland's again, and Prue is standing in Claire's office. Claire's like, I'm sorry, Prue, but I've made up my mind. And Prue tells her that she loves her job and she needs her job. And as that's going on, Andy opens the door and walks in with Prue's assistant. And he's like, I just wanted to stop by and say thank you. And Claire's just lost on what's going on. And he's like, for letting us borrow Miss Hallowell, see an Asian gang was smuggling exotic jewelry antiques. She helped us set up a sting and bust their operation. And Claire's like, oh, Prue never mentioned that before. And Andy's like, well, she couldn't compromise her cover. And he's like, you're welcome to contact my superior, Inspector Morris, and set up a reimbursement claim if you'd like. And then Andy and Prue start to leave. And because Claire's like, well, no, that won't be necessary. And as they start to walk out the door, Claire's like, Prue, don't forget about our lunch with the investors. Wouldn't want you to be late. And Prue's like, I won't be. And they leave. So Andy saved Prue's job. how nice (laughs) i know what a sweetheart and then they go back to prue's office and andy thanks him for help or i mean prue thanks andy for helping her and they're both all smiley a little flirty and then andy's like listen prue i've done some thinking about the truth spell and i'm still kind of trying to sort my feelings out but i've come to the conclusion that no matter whether i had a minute a month or a year to think about it it wouldn't change the truth And he says, it may sound boring, but I know that someday I want to have a normal life to come home to. No demons. And she's obviously, like, disappointed at this, but she totally understands. And she's like, believe me, I wouldn't want to come home to it either if I could avoid it. But I can't. You can. And they both look kind of sad because, you know, this is obviously the official end of Andy and Prue. 
but then she smiles at him and they hug each other. This uh, broke so, my heart. So earth shattering to me. This was devastating, truly. Our season long like, relationship, like, I mean, we've been talking about this from the beginning, our questions on whether or not it could work between them and just for it to end like this. And, like, part of me still wants to have hope that, like, he'll change his mind. Because I'm just like, no, they're soulmates. Like, he has to change his mind. Like, I do get where he's coming from. But it's just like... I do, too. And obviously, Prue understands where he's coming from, too. But I think this is, like, her telling him, like, this was exactly what she was scared of, you know? So it sucks that she really finally had to had to face that. And I know that that's got to be so painful for Prue because this has been such a confliction with her. And I guess we got our question answered about, you know, when the truth spell happened, if he had had more time. Because mm-hmm. he just says it, you know, it doesn't it doesn't make a difference. He knows what he wants for his, his future. Yeah. As painful as it is. And honestly good for him like the strength that that must take because I mean I feel like for me at least if I really love someone or really care about someone I almost find the reasons to stay or I'm like you know what maybe I can just figure it out or like I can't seem to bring myself to to leave that person you know what I mean even if it's for the best but which I guess that's not a good habit but and you know damn well that I'm the same I know you're the exact same way if not worse um so it's like it's it's nice I mean it's sad but to see that it's healthy it's healthy I guess yeah it shows that healthiness the the strength that he has and that it takes to do something like this especially with Prue who he's been in love with since I mean we saw that they've known each other since they were little little you know Mm -hmm. like their relationship goes back their whole lives yeah but uh yeah, you know, I like my TV relationships the same way I like my real-life relationships. Toxic and unable to let go of each other. Exactly. Me too. Just how I like it. Unfortunately, but no, I mean, you know, I, I hope that healthy. things can work out or that they can at least continue to have, like, some type of relationship with each other, even if they can't have that, like, family together that I think on some level both of them do want yeah I think that I because I could never I I don't know I can't imagine that they would have them just completely stop seeing each other after this after this whole like setup and this whole like questioning throughout the whole series there's no way you know like I don't think that they could do that just completely avoid each other you know yeah so let's hope that they're at least still friends or something. I guess we'll see. Yeah, maybe one day they'll change their minds. But until then, this seems like the end. Yeah. Oh, God. The end of an era. The end of an era. But not the end of Prue at Buckland's because she kept her job. Yeah, exactly. She still she still got her job. So we're good. But um, All right. There we go. So then from there, we move to the final scene of the episode. We are at the manor, and Prue and Phoebe are walking in together with groceries in their hand. Phoebe's like, so did you burn Andy's file like he suggested? 
And Prue's like, yeah, you should have seen it. Turns out he knew a lot more about us than he was letting on. And Phoebe's kind of bringing up what we said before, how she still doesn't understand how he could hear a ghost. And Prue isn't sure either. Just then Piper enters from the other door. She says she took an earlier flight because she had this terrible feeling that they were at each other's throat and they both act shocked. And they're like, what, us? And Piper's like, so nothing happened while I was gone? And Phoebe says, just, you know, the same old boring stuff. And they go back to putting away the groceries. Cute little ending. Yeah. I like that they didn't even tell Piper. Like, this whole thing went on. Like, all this drama happened and Piper just knows nothing of it. Yeah, and it kind of gives me that idea that they finally bonded. Because, like, they have a secret from Piper now, right? That never would have happened before. That's true. Yeah, there's definitely never been anything that Piper didn't know, you know? Mm -hmm. It's always been the other way around. Yeah, it's always like, you know, they both share something with Piper or they share something with the big group. It's never Prue and Phoebe have like a little inside thing with just the two of them, so. I know. So I guess one bond breaks, another one forms. (laughs) Yep, (laughs) exactly. It's bittersweet. It is. Uh, Any other final thoughts about the episode? Um, I just want to say I love this episode. It's always been a favorite episode of mine. I think it's fun. I love the Jackson Ward character. I love the connection we have with Prue and Phoebe and, of course, with Prue and Andy throughout the episode. I like what it's setting up with the internal affairs, and I'm excited to see where that plot line is going to go. And, of course, you know, we have two episodes left of the season, so I'm really excited to see how all of this is going to play out over the next two episodes. I know. I can't. We need to just get there because I have so much to say when we do our season wrap up. I, I can't wait. To talk Me about too. It all. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you want to reach out to us or follow us on social media, we're on Instagram and TikTok at rewitched underscore pod. You can also send us an email to rewitched.pod at gmail.com. And join us back next time for season one, episode 21, Love Hurts.